Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's the eSports moment once again. I'm Seamus Byrne. This week, I'm sharing a really interesting and hopefully useful conversation with Morgan Remine that delves into some of the trickier areas of the state of online gaming, competitive gaming, eSports, and the diversity problems that float around this industry like a really bad smell. Morgan is a longtime gamer and one of the founders of the Frag Dolls all-women esports team run by Ubisoft back in the day and is now a cultural anthropology researcher and the director of the Any Key organization, which advocates for greater diversity and inclusiveness in gaming. It works closely with Intel and ESL to run elite women's CSGO tournaments, as well as other initiatives across both tournaments and research efforts to improve the gaming landscape to make it more positive and inclusive across the board. It's a great project and one that's desperately needed and something we can all do more to support. So in this conversation, I try to get Morgan to talk about how we overcome frustration when things don't change fast enough, how we can all do better when those standard questions crop up that push back against diversity initiatives, and what straight white guys like me can do to be better allies and supporters of change for those who deal with bad online gaming experiences every day. We all hate seeing gaming used as a scapegoat for violence or other social ills in wider society, but we do need to do more to combat the toxicity and negativity that are deeply ingrained in gaming culture as it exists online today. It's taken deep, deep roots out there, so a lot of people dismiss it or argue that we all just have to toughen up if we want to play online, but that's garbage. It's past time to start making this space a more positive one so anyone can aim to compete at the highest level in the games they love and have a great experience doing so. So I hope this conversation with Morgan Remine helps to offer up some tips and suggestions for how to do more to make things better out there for every kind of gamer. I'm curious for your kind of 30-second pitch version of From Fragdolls to Any Key, 
Um, you know, how do you explain that that journey in, in gaming? Seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you can have longer than thirty seconds if you want. Um, I, I mean, my life story really has video games threaded all through it. Um, starting playing EverQuest when I was in high school, then playing too much EverQuest, continuing into college, and when I graduated from college, uh, feeling like I wanted to see if I could make you know make a go of it in in the esports industry and and gaming. And I happened to live really close by to Ubisoft and got hired by Ubisoft after very much a lot of persistence and and bugging them to hire me to be a community manager, which I had basically been doing for free as a guild leader in EverQuest. Um, And then we, you know, pretty quickly spun up the Fragdolls team uh, after starting Ubisoft. And uh, it sort of opened my eyes to the world of of women playing, uh, which existed all this time. And I didn't even know because I felt like I was such a weird rare creature <laughs> in this space that that then to become connected with a bunch of other women was really eye-opening and empowering and supportive and gave me sort of the personal experience and background necessary to see how important it is to build these supportive networks and provide opportunities and support role models, which is exactly what we do with any key um, as our diversity and inclusion initiative. Mm. I think the kind of the scary question in my mind is, you know, as a cultural anthropologist, what does the game culture really kind of look like today? And, you know, I'm sure we're kind of moving towards a promising world, hopefully. Um, But, you know, when you sort of approach it from that sort of, you know, scientific sort of basis almost, um, you know, how, how troubling does it look at the moment? Well, we're, I would say that we're at a very important moment for gaming culture because we have this influx of popular, of sort of people coming from the mainstream. And so they're learning about gamer culture now. And especially the young, the young people coming in are learning what the norms are. And if we, let the norms be what they have been, um, then we are in for, you know, in in for a world of hurt where we're going to have a lot of these bad behaviors perpetuating um, and just, you know, excluding people. And we're going to have a mainstream uh, uh, sort of future of esports, which is supposed to be a level playing field for everybody, instead excluding a lot of people. Um, and I think it's really, really important now to try to make that intervention um, as we're sort of explosively growing, um, instead of waiting later, it's much more difficult to to fix those problems later. You can really put a Band-Aid on the wound, but I think we're, we're now at a place where we can um, sort of stem the tide of, of, of what has happened in the past and change course for, for a more equal future. That was a well-put answer. Very Thank good. <laughs> um, uh, I know this is an, you know, a question you get all the time. Um, but I think it's helpful, I guess, for other people to sort of learn what's a good way to answer it, which is that sort of the classic thing of, you know, but games don't need gender division, so why do we do girl, girl tournaments, those kinds of questions. Um, you know, what kind of way can you put it that would help somebody else when they get asked that? Because I think lots of people do get asked it. Um, you, you more than most, I'm sure. But, yeah, as a good way to sort of help somebody else understand this is what it does and this is how it helps to kind of bring things forward. Right. So um, I think the the first sort of point to make is that we have so few women who are trying to enter tournaments but those women are playing the games at home so it's not a matter of getting them to play the games in the first place those women are there but they feel like they're not welcome in esports or at tournaments and they don't see anybody like them 
at the final levels on the stages hoisting the trophy. So they don't even aspire to really uh, being a part of that scene. Um, so it's it's really important that we need to boost the numbers of women who are playing and entering the tournaments in the first place. And there are a couple important ways to do that. You have to do both of them. Um, you need to provide role models, which means you need to highlight the women who are succeeding in the space and lift them up and pr provide platforms for visibility. Because a lot of those girls at home don't even know that those women exist. So if you if you boost them through media, through tournament opportunities, give them opportunities to shine, do video content that shows like, hey, you're here and you're a woman and look, <laughs> look, we're here. Those other girls at home will be like, oh, that could be me. I could be the one doing that. And then you get those light bulb moments where then they enter tournaments or they start training hard enough or they find teams that, that they can then enter tournaments with. Um, so that's super crucial. Um, but you also need to be improving community spaces and providing codes of conducts and giving community managers tools that they need to be able to improve behavior so that the women are not being uh, shoved out by uh, toxicity and bad harassing behavior. So um, the point is not segregation. And ultimately, we want to have women playing on the same stages as men. But tournaments like the Intel Challenge provide an alternative opportunity for those women to shine so that women at home have role models to look up to. Yeah. Uh, you know, a good example, my daughter, who is still, you know, still quite young, only just 10, she loves playing StarCraft. And last year to suddenly have Scarlet up in lights, you know, to you know, win the special IEM event yeah. that was held over at the Olympics was so great for me to go check it out like you know it's not a weird thing for you to love this game um even though you know your friends like different kinds of games you yeah. know it was a perfect uh, just such a really lovely thing for, for her to it's, see. it's really crucially important the the whole idea that I think is kind of uh, really important that you were talking about earlier as well was the that idea of um finding that kind of way to to boost that numbers from the bottom, I think was the way you sort of put it. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit more about that idea of how do we sort of at that, I guess at the grassroots level, sort of help people to to find their communities that it isn't just that sort of online aspect, but kind of finding ways for people to to discover that there are people just like them in their neighborhood even, not not just kind of hiding online. So again, role models play a really important role in this, and it doesn't have to be esports specifically, but role models within communities, um, role models representing certain marginalized groups. So working with streamers who are representing that marginalized group can be really important. Having those influencers who maybe, uh, you know, a person of color who's streaming, like supporting supporting them and supporting their community can be really helpful for for all the people watching at home. Um, but I think, uh, you know, you, we also need to provide more training, I think, and education about what sort of behavior is good and supportive and what's not and what language is good and supportive. Because really there's a lack of, of, I think, basic sort of understanding of how certain terms that are really common in gaming are actually pretty bad and negative if you're a member of a marginalized group and if you're not part of that marginalized group you don't have that visibility and so many people we have this experience of like hey that's actually bad for this reason they're like oh I will not use that anymore. I totally didn't realize like that sucks that I've been using this, this term that whole time. So just some basic, uh, you know, education I think would actually make a big, a big difference. Yeah. Can you talk about the, the cool project that you've got coming up that is, I guess, yeah, trying to sort of target this idea of helping influencers to sort of learn more about these kinds of, of aspects of how they, yeah, I guess how they 
talk to their communities and things like that? Yeah. So my co-director is uh, our director of research, T.L. Taylor, who is a professor of sociology at MIT. Uh, we're really excited. Thanks to our partnership with Intel, we're able to bring on a postdoctoral researcher this year who will be able to help us develop a inclusion 101 curriculum, which is what we're calling it so far, um, that will be a very basic crash course in, in what terms do you use to describe certain things like what is feminism all about <laughs> and like how do you use these terms responsibly and how do you support people in your community um, and and I think we can do that in various different formats and maybe it's a three-hour workshop maybe it's a one-hour thing like there there are lots of ways for us to sort of disseminate that knowledge in a supportive and educational environment um, and we can work with pro teams and top influencers um, as well as collegiate teams I mean anybody really who could benefit from this training which I think a lot of esports pros <laughs> certainly could benefit from this training um, doing that in an environment where they, they, they can ask questions without feeling like they're going to be criticized. It would be provide yeah. them for an opportunity to do that in a non-conflict um, environment so that they can learn how to be better themselves. And then they get to choose how they're using that in their own spaces, but it gives them the necessary tools. Mm. Is there a, like a good path towards like, again, I guess using my own sort of daughter as an example, right? She loves watching games. She's got nowhere near the kind of online world of how things can get toxic in that kind of context yet. There's one part of me where you're like, you don't want to have to do the whole thing now. You have to kind of harden yourself for the online world because it's all going to be terrible and horrible. But you kind of also don't want the person to just enter that world in shock thinking, oh, I just wanted to play this game. Why is suddenly everybody telling me that I, I'm not the right person to play these games just because of my gender? You know, how do we try to balance that discussion when that's kind of a part of the unfortunate reality that we're sort of pushing back against at the moment, but still something people kind of have to contend with. It's, it feels tricky to have to try to say that to the, to somebody that, well, it's going to be bad for a while. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's really difficult. I can imagine as a parent, uh, trying to prepare your child for dealing with that and, and giving them sort of the support necessary to deal with it. Um, while also hoping that, that the other stakeholders in the space will start making progress on yeah. these issues. Um, I, you know, I, I think that some of the advice that I give to, uh, girls who are in gaming and esports spaces of any kind, really, um, there, there are a couple things that can help finding friends, uh, finding other girls is really helpful, but even just I mean, your guy friends and playing with them and building that supportive network is really helpful. Yeah. And playing in person, going to land parties. I mean, I know we don't really do that anymore. And that's actually, I think part of what has proliferated the online toxicity is that, you know, and I don't blame league of legends specifically, but it just uses an example that really league made it possible to sort of live your whole esports career online yeah up to you know the LCS level and that's that's wonderful in some ways but also can be very isolating if you're somebody who doesn't feel like they belong there if you're a marginalized person mm. um, I mean back back in my day when we played at when land parties lands, yeah, yeah <laughs> um, we actually found lots of friends and supportive groups and then we would go back online and 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 if we would run into trolls or harassers we had those guys that we hung out with at the land parties would, would come in and be like hey shut up she's a real player and she knows what she's doing so go away yeah. and they would back us up and 
And that's, that's a wonderful, helpful, super important thing. You have to have those allies. And I feel like you really have a better chance of making those ally friends in person. Yeah. Um, so I highly encourage the women in the space to go to those events, meet those communities, uh, and, you know, sort of build their supportive networks to help cushion and buffer some of the social negativity they, they would be experiencing otherwise. Yeah. So what do you feel like makes a good ally? You know, I think sometimes people might try to jump in and help, but then they discover they've, you know, they've not quite gotten it quite right in the way they thought they were going to help. Um, but yeah, I'm curious in your thoughts of, of what, but maybe there are, is kind of the, the soft, simple version of, of what being a good ally is. And then how does someone maybe take extra steps to, to be a better ally? So I, I think that a really smart sort of savvy ally is actually somebody who focuses on supporting the marginalized person instead of focusing on confronting the troll. Um, I mean, sometimes the confrontation needs to happen or feel, you know, it feels appropriate. But really, if you can help make the marginalized person, the woman in the space, feel supported and feel like they're a part of the team and feel like they're a good player or that they're getting better or whatever, that's actually way more important. Mm. Um, it, first of all, supports the woman, but then also diffuses the troll because if the, the troll usually is doing it for attention. Um, so if you give attention to the troll, then, I mean, they always talk about feeding the trolls and don't feed the trolls. But in this case, I, I don't I don't always agree with that. I do think that confrontation sometimes has to happen um, and is actually the most productive way. But for allies, I think allies supporting is more important than allies confronting. Um, and I, I think the best allies I've known in the spaces are typically really good supporters and really good at, at just, you know, giving the positive word here and there or advice even, but not mansplaining. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but just like an, and like an idea of like, like, oh, I see that you're really good at, you know, this particular tactic. So why don't we, you know, just making them feel like they're part of the team as opposed yeah. to an outcast in this space. Yeah. And so what are some of the things that make you excited about the path we're now on? You know, are there are there examples of things you've seen or are, are there kind of specific parts of what's changing that that does you know, give you that sense that, that the future is bright? We, I do think that we are reaching a critical mass of awareness about these problems, which is crucial to, to change because if we're debating whether or not these problems exist, then we're not situated to, to change them. Yeah. Um, so I think... Uh, community members and companies alike are starting to to admit like, okay, we have to do some things, which allows us to move forward on the conversation of what is it that we should do. Um, but I also, I, I will say that when I talk to the younger generations, the younger players, I actually have a lot of hope. I think the, the high school and college players, um, and, and I'm not even talking about like the top level players. I'm talking about like the, the kids who are part of the video game clubs on their campuses. Yeah. They give me a lot of hope. They're, they're actually pretty savvy. Um, they're pretty with it. They want to be inclusive. They want to be welcoming. They don't see the benefit of, of being jerks online. Yeah. Um, and, and so they, they give me, they give me hope that I think the future of esports can be a fair and inclusive place. I feel like, yeah, that we ultimately we want to drive it faster than generational change, but at the, at the very worst, um, you know, as most parents are gamers, you know, over time, it's like then they completely can see that 
both genders of their children are perfectly fine being gamers too. Right. No, that's that's definitely a point too. I think we do have gamers who are now raising children who will think that this is all totally normal. Hopefully, by the time that they're playing in high school or college, they'll be like, yeah, of course women are on. Like, why is this, what? <laughs> was this a problem? So we have this ultimate goal of that, you know, with any key, we hope that 10 years from now that we're totally unnecessary. That would be great. That would be a wonderful thing. If we can work ourselves out of a job, then we will have succeeded. The Esports Moment is produced by me, Seamus Byrne, and you can find more of my words on this and other subjects over at goat.com.au. You can find this and my other podcasts by your favorite podcast apps, including Spotify. And if you like this episode or the show in general, please share it on your socials and hit all those rating buttons and review options to help make the algorithms share the show with more folks out there in the great digital beyond. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.